This is SSN. Story Studio Network. It's tough for potential tenants to find a place to live in Toronto. The rental market is booming, and we're seeing a lot of multiple offers and high prices on units all across the city. In our last episode of Sold in the Six, we spoke to a tenant's rights advocate about how some tenants are being taken advantage of. But not all landlords are bad or evil, and some have even encountered tenants that have taken advantage of them, and as a result, jeopardizing the investment they've made while becoming a landlord. Today on Sold in the Six, we'll be speaking to a paralegal who represents mostly landlords, and she has their side of the story. Bita Delisi is a paralegal with Stonegate Legal Services. Bita, welcome to Soul in the Six. Thank you for having me. So, Bita, what are some of the more common disputes that you're seeing out there between landlords and tenants? The more common dif- disputes that we're we're seeing right now is non-payment of rent or persistent late payment of rent. I mean, these two are stemming from us moving out of the pandemic, but there are a lot of tenants who are still going through issues with their employer or uh, still being on EI or still recovering from COVID. So these two stem from the pandemic. Other issues we are experiencing right now is the purchase and sale of tenanted properties that the challenge that seller landlords are experiencing is closing because buyers more often than not the buyers are requesting vacant possession Mm -hmm. and sellers are often not able to deliver because of the skyrocketing rent prices yeah they are really skyrocketing that's what we talked about um in our previous podcast but just uh, a couple of things here and we're gonna you know get back to those two issues there on why uh we're having these type of disputes between landlords and tenants so a lot of not a lot of tenants but some tenants like to paint landlords with the same brush that they're rich um that they're uh gouging them and so on and we have different types of landlords of course for PETA. we have the large property owners like apartment building owners who aren't necessarily you know the nicest to the tenants at times right absolutely right and then we have people who are basically you know have a um a second property an income property And they're running these income properties on a shoestring. So they need those rent payments to cover the mortgage on a monthly basis. Um, Who are you representing uh, when it comes to landlords? Are you more of the the, the latter that I just mentioned? 99.9% are small landlords. So as you can imagine, if a tenant stops paying, the landlord is going to have to dip in their own pocket. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if I'm a landlord... And the tenant all of a sudden says, look, I don't feel that I should have to pay the rent this month because I had a leaky faucet that you didn't come and fix on time. Um, What kind of steps can a landlord take? Well, firstly, any time a maintenance concern is brought to the attention of the landlord, the landlord has... I mean, under the act, they have obligations to reasonably respond, especially when it comes to leaks. And I'm a landlord myself. And anytime I hear the word leak, I think of an emergency because when water is involved, you don't know what part of the property that water can 
you know, get into and how much damage it can cause. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I, I always tell my landlords, it's your property. You know, you need to maintain it. So exactly. the there are other issues that tenants, you know, often take the position on with respect to maintenance. And often tenants withhold rent, although that they're not allowed to, they often withhold rent if the landlord doesn't tend to maintenance concerns. And there's a section of the act uh, with respect to, you know, non-payment of rent. Tenants can raise issues under Section 82 of the Residential Tenancies Act. And Section 82, Desmond, it basically allows the tenant to justify why they haven't paid the rent. And although many landlords, you know, they feel that this is a delay tactic or they're just taking the position because they just don't want to pay, they have the right to, to enforce the, their position at the board. So anytime a landlord, you know, serves notice for non-payment of rent, on the day of the hearing, the tenant can raise these issues under Section 82 to justify why they haven't paid the rent. And then basically what they're doing is they're allowing the board to decide whether or not, you know, the landlord should waive or the landlord owes that money to the tenant or whether the tenant has to repay what they owe back to the landlord. Mm -hmm. So what have you seen in these hearings? How have, how have they been resolved? Well, that depends. It depends on the adjudicator. Mm -hmm. And because they're often with adjudicators, I find that there's a little bit of bias there as well. Um, there are certain adjudicators that are very tenant friendly. And then there are certain adjudicators that are very landlord friendly. And then you have the unbiased adjudicators uh, that, you know, they hear the matter and they're not really biased. They make a decision or ruling based on what's in front of them. Yeah. Okay. So, um, is this common for you to go in front of these adjudicators on, on behalf of uh, landlords? It is. It is very common. We often try to resolve the matter as soon as possible. The quicker, the better. Outside of the board, the better. Just because it takes us, it, it takes the board seven to eight months now mm -hmm. to issue a notice. That's going to be my next question for you. Yeah. Okay. So if you're, you're looking at seven to eight months, what happens in the interim? So the that the tenants have still denied paying rent and the small landlords are getting further and further in the hole as they're right. paying their mortgages. That's right. right. And other expenses, property taxes, utilities, you know, it should not take seven to eight months to get to the board. This is, it's really ridiculous. It's kind of silly if you ask me. A non-paying tenant should, that application should get in front of the board within 30 to 60 days. The, the reason why a lot of tenants take advantage is because it's taking so long to get to the board. And if you have a tenant that is not working or, you know, is receiving government benefits, these tenants are often informed that even if they go in front of the board, even if they owe twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000, even if the landlord pursues to freeze their account or garnish um, what they have in their bank accounts, there's no way the ten that the landlord can recover that money because the, the tenant is not working and you can't get blood from a stone. And garnishment, garnishment laws allow landlords not to touch government benefits. Oh, boy. So do you know of any landlords that this has happened to? And, um, you know, what's happened to them at the end of it? If, if they've had to go through this process where no rent has come in, have they had to sell their houses? Have they had to, to have they lost it? You know, Desmond, that's a really good question. 
I've had landlords, I mean, one in particular that I will never forget. And during the midst of the pandemic, you know, he was owed $18,000. Did you say 80000 18. Oh, 18. 18. Okay. Yeah. 18, which doesn't sound like a lot, but for a small landlord who, you know, just can barely scrape by, it's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And this particular tenant was working at a hospital. So she was, she was employed and she was making good money and she was informed that she didn't have to pay her rent because of what uh, Mr. Ford had mentioned uh, on uh, on TV during the pandemic and he just couldn't take it anymore. He came to our office. He said, "Here's the key. The bank is going to contact you to come and pick it up because I cannot carry uh, the expenses anymore. I'm working two jobs. My wife is working two jobs and the stress on our marriage, on our family is just unbearable oh boy so in the end he had to he had to he lost the house in the end he lost the property yeah <sighs> that seems like it's obviously very unfair because i know people interpreted doug ford's uh freeze on rent and um and you know not paying rent in the way that they wanted to interpret it but in that particular circumstance it just it does seem completely unfair i mean this guy lost his house he was owed $18,000 so it must have been close to a year of rents and arrears yeah a little over a year a little over a year and, and when she left is when the bank took it over and the property was a disaster Oh boy! So she finally did leave only because of that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, a case of the the small landlord um, versus the big landlord. A small landlord not being able to, you know, sustain during the tough times when people aren't paying the rent, as opposed to a larger landlord who's run, running larger buildings and um, have deep pockets, and you know, these are just more like an inconvenience to them if a tenant doesn't pay rent because they've got all the other you know, tenants paying and they've got lots of money to, to, uh, to be able to carry their big investments. Yeah. Quote unquote, big investments. Absolutely. And you know, and not to justify a bigger landlord, because I mean, even any landlord who's not receiving rent should not have to wait months to get to the board, whether they're big, medium sized or small landlord, you know, and when a tenant stops paying, it's the landlord who is a victim of the, the broken system because it's the landlord who's starting to incur costs, property taxes, mortgage, penalties, you know, it, it, it's and it can become unbearable. We've had tons of landlords just not being able to carry their property. So you're listening to this podcast And these stories about the challenges of being a landlord don't phase you at all. And you're still thinking of picking up an investment property. Well, the first thing you should do is speak to a mortgage agent. And I recommend Jason Georgiopoulos of Dominion Landing. Jason will go over all of the financing options and get you the best rates and terms for a mortgage. To get in touch with him, you can email Jason at jasong at dominionlending.ca. So we talk about, um, or you mentioned a little bit earlier about properties being sold and landlords selling properties. And this is what happens in my business anyway. Um, Buyers, agents will come in 
and say that their clients want possession of the home. So we have to go through a process when the home is sold to ensure that the buyer of the new home can actually move into that house. And that means you have to evict the tenant. So tell us about that process and how it works. Well, yeah, that, that's a great question. Uh, the the se- selling a tenanted property is a quote-unquote, can be a quote-unquote difficult process depending on how it's approached and what method of termination of tenancy the landlord decides to proceed with. And anytime either a realtor, when a realtor phones me or when a, when a landlord phones me, I tell them the, you know, I tell them of their two options. Okay. The first option is that a notice to end the tenancy for the, for the new purchaser's own use has to be served to the tenant. This allows the tenant, uh, this gives the tenant 60 days in order for them to vacate the property. However, in that same notice, it tells the tenant, if you don't agree, you don't have to move out. In which case the landlord now has to, you know, go through a broken system, get this matter in front of the board in a timely manner in order for their deal not to fall apart. Okay. So help, help. I didn't, that's, it's interesting because I do these, I didn't see that clause in there where they, they can actually not leave if they don't want to. That's correct. So on the second page of the N12, okay. And I, and I highly recommend that you, you Google it and download a PDF copy of the N12 and really read it. On the second page of the N12, the third or, or fourth bolded box from the left down, it tells the tenant, if you disagree, what if you disagree with the notice? And to the right of it, it says, you do not have to move out if you disagree with what your landlord has included in this notice. The, the sale of the property is not relevant to the tenancy. They're two separate agreements, right? So there is no duty of care that the buyer owes the tenant or vice versa. There's no tenant and landlord relationship between the buyer and the the tenant. The the duty of care is between the seller landlord and the tenant. And the tenant has rights under the act to remain in the property until the board ends the tenancy. So (laughs) it's a lot. So if, if a landlord serves notice, they have to go through, you know, they have to go through the legal channels They have to fulfill requirements because the N12 also has a compensation requirement that also has to be paid to the tenant before the termination date, whether or not that tenant moves out. Okay, so what happens, and you've probably seen this, where the property sold with a closing date, let's say of November the 1st, and the new owner goes to... Uh, take possession of that property, goes into the property and sees that the tenant hasn't left. Big surprise. Well, big surprise. And I see a huge amount of penalties uh, owed for breach of contract um, because the seller is not able to provide vacant possession. So here, here's the issue is that prior to closing, there should be, firstly, there should be an inspection of the property so that 
you know, the, the, all parties are well aware as to whether or not the tenant is leaving. And I mean, when the N12 is filed with the board, whenever there's a sale of, you know, sale, purchase and sale agreement, a request to shorten the time for an immediate hearing can also be filed with the board. And what that is, is it's basically requesting that the board expedite uh, this matter to be heard as soon as possible. Yeah. So how, how soon will they do it? Well, when I say, you know, request to expedite, you're looking at about three to four months instead oh. of seven to eight. <laughs> that's expediting? That's, that's expediting. Oh, but, but you know what, Desmond? It's, it's much better than eight months. Oh, yeah, it is. But in the meantime, um, and we had somebody on this podcast who had bought a property and had done the inspection before. Uh, to see if the tenant was out and the tenant hasn't left yet. So they still haven't closed the property. And we're talking about a year later. Um, but still, you know, a lot goes into buying a property. I mean, if you have to give notice uh, from where you lived before, if you've sold another property uh, and you can't move into this one because the tenant's in there, like this could be real hell. Sure. And, and it's a domino effect, right? Mm-hmm. Which, which leads me to the alternative. So what's the alternative? If it's going to take you eight months just to get in front of the board, and just because you're in front of the board doesn't guarantee that the board is going to end the tenancy, you have to now convince the board that you've sold the property and the new purchaser requires possession. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. So what's what's the alternative? The alternative is what I call a cash for keys. And many landlords don't, don't like to hear this, but... It's reality and they should definitely consider cash for keys because otherwise they're going to be in breach of contract. Okay. So cash for keys basically meaning pay off the tenant to leave. Correct. Cash for keys is basically offering the tenant something of value and usually it's compensatory and cash in exchange for the keys. And that cash can be anything. I mean, when we do cash for keys for our clients, our landlords ask us, you know, how do you come up to a number? How do you, what's your offer? How do you, where does that number come from? And I say, you know, you always have to give the tenants the tools that they're going to need in order to move. Because if they don't have the tools, they can't move. So what are the tools? The tools are the first month's rent, the last month's rent, and moving costs. Who boy. Right. Because if they don't have that, yeah, if they don't have that, makes sense, right? If they don't have that, where are they going to go? Exactly. And when you're taking a look at, let's say, a condo in the city of Toronto right now, where the average price for a one-bedroom condo is around $2,400, $2,500. Right. So you're looking at a payoff, and that's exactly what it is, yeah. a payoff or a bribe of about $5,000 plus moving costs to get the tenant out. Correct. Okay, what if the tenant still doesn't leave? Yeah, they, they give you one set of keys, but they have another and they, they don't leave. Have you ever had that happen? Well, no. And let me tell you why. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, things are looking optimistic finally here for a landlord. Uh, that's a good, I mean, you're, you're asking me from a perspective of, of a landlord or for someone who's never done this, I'm assuming, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's a, it is a great question because it's a question that I get asked all the time. A cash for keys needs to be facilitated properly. OK, 
Okay. And anytime a landlord asks me, well, should I do this on my own or should I get, you know, counsel to do it for me? And I always say, you always have a legal representative who's familiar with the act and the procedure, because a lot of legal representatives are not familiar with either the act or the procedure. What, what is usually done is a proposal is drafted and sent to the tenant. That proposal outlines terms of settlement, okay, what the parties agree to, what are the rules of the game, okay, how much, how much tenant, uh, the tenant will receive in compensation, uh, who holds the funds, when are keys picked up, when are funds exchanged, rules of the game, okay. That those settlement terms or the proposal is sent alongside an N11 agreement to end the tenancy. Okay. And N11 says? An N11 is basically an agreement to vacate. Okay. The parties are giving their rights up. The parties are giving up their rights under the law when they sign the N11. Okay. So when you ask, how, do, how does the exchange take place? So let me, let me tell you. The, the proposal and the N11 are married to one another, okay? Once they're signed, they're filed with the board. The board will then issue an ex parte order, which is just a fancy legal term for an eviction order without a hearing. So the proposal will say, you know, something like the tenant will receive half of the funds upon receipt of the signing the documents and the balance upon receipt of the keys. So if they don't move, the landlord can enforce an eviction because they've already filed these documents with the board. And this is, remember, the alternative is the N11. So this is bypassing the seven to, sorry, the alternative is the N12. This is bypassing the seven to eight month delay to get to the board. Okay. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's good. And just, again, just to be clear, the N12 form, explain that N12 form because people are throwing this out all the time. I know what it is. Better to hear it from you. The N12 is, an, uh, is a notice to end the tenancy. Okay. There's a difference. The, the, the seller landlord is putting the tenant on notice by serving the N12. The N11 is an agreement, kind of like the mutual release. Yes, right. So the landlord, yeah, so the, the N12 is just served to the tenant Correct. by the landlord or the landlord's representative. The N11 is an agreement where the tenant has to sign as well as the landlord. You got it. Okay, that's great. So... In that case, if they defy the N11 that they've uh, entered into a contract in, the sheriff can come and move them out, correct? Correct. So let me explain to you that process. Because remember, the N11 and the, the proposal are married to one another. When they're filed with the board, the board will send out an order, okay? It'll probably take about, I would say, four to eight weeks to receive this order. Then that order is filed with the enforcement office of the sheriff. And then the sheriff will book a date and time to physically attend the property to remove the tenant. This is all bypassing a hearing date, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because like you said, everything's already been filed previously. You got it. Now, one, one loophole that you have to be aware of is that Tenants have 10 days from the date that the board issues that order to file a motion. 
And a motion is basically asking the board or the courts to do something. So the tenants would, you know, file a motion uh, and basically stay the eviction. And when I say stay the eviction, I mean they put a hold on the eviction for whatever reason. Okay. So sometimes that's been, you know, in real estate, buyers get buyer's remorse. Okay. In the realm of tenants and landlord matters, Tenants often get tenants' remorse. (laughs) Moving remorse. (laughs) I'm not moving. No. (laughs) That's right. Because they get all excited about this proposal. They sign. And then once they start looking, they find out that rent costs have skyrocketed. And they're not able to move. So this, they they can bring a motion to to stay the eviction. If they do, the board will hold a hearing usually about 30 to 60 days after that motion is filed. And the, the parties are going to have to advocate their position as to why the board should lift the stay or the hold on the eviction and allow the landlord seller to proceed with an eviction. Wow. And that's still another 30 to 60 days. And I know what you're going to say. It's better than eight or nine months. It is. Sure <laughs> is. But still, that's even after they have signed the N11 agreement, even after they've been given the money to move out. And they can still dispute it right till the end. They can still dispute it. Now, it's not likely, like, for example, we have, last year we completed 472 cash for keys uh, transactions and 470 of them left. No problem. You know, one tenant passed away and one tenant decided to draw a line in the sand. But, you know, I always tell my landlords, Nothing is 100% guaranteed. You have to know the risks. And anytime you purchase real estate for the purpose of investment, there's a risk. There is. And wow, there are a lot of risks if you want to be a landlord, Bita. Bita, thank you so much for joining us today on Soul in the Six. I mean, you've covered a lot there. If people want to get in touch with you, what is your contact information? They can head over to StonegateLegalServices.ca. Our contact information is on our website. Uh, or they can send us an email at info at StonegateLegalServices.ca. Great. And as Vita says, being a landlord is not for the faint of heart. Ooh, boy. Vita, <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for joining us on Sold in the Six. Thank you for having me, Desmond. So that's our latest episode of Sold in the Six. If you're a landlord and you still want to be a landlord, make sure you know your rights. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and you'll get these episodes automatically. And please feel free to send this episode on to a friend. If you need to get in touch with me, you can email me at des at desmondbrown.ca. And you can also follow me on all of the social media platforms, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. My handle is Des in the Six. And it's the number six, IX. Until next time, I'm Desmond Brown. This is Story Studio Network.